This is Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and Jay Craig Williams, America's top web bloggers in the legal profession. And yes, they are attorneys, both of them, one from California, one from Massachusetts. You can only guess what will happen next. Coast to Coast is sponsored by Law.com, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Coast to Coast, only on the Legal Talk Network. I'm Craig Williams in Southern California. And this is Bob Ambrogi in steamy Massachusetts. Uh, I write the blog Law Sites and another blog called Media Law. Craig? And I'm in sunny Southern California, which is nowhere near as steamy as Massachusetts is, but I write a blog called May It Please the Court. Today, Coast to Coast is going to take a look at some very familiar territory for me and my co-host. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, blogging today. Uh, Perhaps no in no profession other than the legal profession uh, in journalism and in technology maybe has, has blogging taken off uh, in, in such a big way. Uh, it's become a popular way to share facts and opinions on any topic uh, you can imagine. And in the words of one of our guests today, one big uh, amicus brief. But attorneys are holding their own in the blogging phenomenon. That's right, and and uh, estimates on the number of blogs, and we're talking about the word blog, B-L-A-W-G, which was coined by yet another of our guests today, Denise Howell, uh, vary from about 1,200 to some to, to well more than 2,000. And while lawyers make up only about 1% of the population, the New York Times reports that more than 6% of bloggers are lawyers. But by most accounts, most bloggers uh, tend to be from smaller uh, and solo law firms and from academia. While lawyers at large firms have, for the most part, stayed away from this information and the idea sharing trend. So we're going to try and figure out a little bit about uh, what's going on in the blogosphere and why this tends to be less the domain of of larger firm lawyers uh, in today's edition of Coast to Coast. Well, Bob, with us today is someone who is one of the first to use the word blog, B-L-A-W-G. Denise Howell is an appellate intellectual property and technology lawyer. Her blog is called Bag and Baggage. She contributes to Between Lawyers and hosts the audio series at IT Conversations called Sound Policy. Welcome to the show, Denise. Hi, guys. Nice to be here. Also joining us is Ernie Svensson, who's becoming somewhat of a regular on this show. Uh, Ernie's appeared on Coast to Coast a couple of times before talking about uh, Katrina. Uh, Ernie is well known for his blog, Ernie the Attorney, and uh, has uh, earlier this year, earlier late last year, launched his own solo practice. Welcome, Ernie. Thank you very much for having me. And we'd also like to welcome attorney Howard Bashman. Howard is the nationally recognized appellate attorney with his own practice. He appears regularly before the U.S. Court of Appeals for the Third Circuit and Pennsylvania's state appellate courts. And his blog is called How Appealing, well known to us all. Welcome to the show, Howard. Glad to be back. Denise, uh, you've been much in the in the blogosphere news lately, and I, I realize that you can't really talk about the circumstances of your departure from your firm, but it was interesting that that, that departure uh, became somewhat of the, the shot heard around the world, at least within the legal blogosphere. Uh, and I'm wondering uh, what that says about the, the status and the role of blogs in the legal profession today. Well, yes, I was kind of surprised by the fact that, that a post of mine about sort of I'm moving on and here's briefly what happened and and here's where I anticipate things going, which is the kind of post a lot of people do frequently uh, as they 
shift and move around in their professions and careers, um, that it, it seemed to strike a nerve with folks and seemed to generate a lot of discussion that was healthy and, and I think, productive uh, around some interesting and difficult issues. And um, I think the fact that that happened uh, is a message that people should listen to. And what's the message? Uh, just that a, an event that otherwise would have completely gone under the radar um, was fairly public and generated a lot of um, interesting discussion, some heated discussion, I think much more heated than, than I was in my post um, around issues that I said, as I said, struck a nerve with folks. Um, and, and I think, you know, you'll see more and more of that as conversations continue about what otherwise, you know, historically have been small or insignificant matters, but they're significant to lots of people if only they have access to them. Um, and, and I think that's what you saw in the case of my leaving my firm. Ernie, how did you gauge the reaction to Denise's post around the blogosphere? Um, well, I was um, I was prepared when she, when I learned that she was leaving um, that there would be some discussion because she's been a blogger for a long time and she was very candid about um, certain elements of um, her termination that other people perhaps would not be as candid about and she explained why that was the case and, and I frankly admire Denise as many people do because she's always been somebody who has advocated um, transparency in all things, and she's always pushed for that. And th there's been a lot of discussion over time about anonymous bloggers, and I think we uh, all agree that, that there's a place for that, and that's great. But I think Denise has been one of the people, like me, who thinks that you know there should be more transparency. People should talk more about what they're really doing, um, because that's um, the thing I think that's missing most um, in the world right now is people not talking freely about what they think and what they believe and attempting instead to engage reactions or to put out a press release or a package statement, and that just doesn't go well with most people. Howard, you used the term, uh, I wrote an article, rather, about the uh, Internet as one big amicus brief. Do you think that the Internet is also uh, one big discussion point about the transparency that Ernie's talking about? Well, I, I certainly do, and uh, Denise's fine weblog was uh, a motivating, the motivating factor for me in deciding to go into blogging, so uh, I, I thank her for that. I, I think that uh, the discussion that we're engaging in right now brings up two points for me. One is whether large firms are places that, that value attorneys' responsibilities outside the office, such as raising families uh, enough. And secondly, whether large firms value having well-known law bloggers in their ranks to a, a great enough degree. And I think that, uh, that, that both of those points are points that people began discussing as a result of Denise's recent experience. And I think that both points are points that deserve lots of discussion. 
Well, you, Howard, you left your firm since you started blogging and started your own firm. Uh, Ernie, you left a larger firm and started your own firm. Uh, Denise, obviously, you've now left your firm. Uh, to to what extent uh, does that suggest the the answer to your question? I mean, are you Howard? Are you are, is it the case that large firms are not accommodating to uh, individuals who want to be a little bit more creative and pursue other interests? In their, in their I careers? think that that it's a very complex point because uh, at at perhaps the greatest level level of generalization, large firms I believe do prefer to conduct their marketing and public relations. Uh, through centralized operations as opposed through individual lawyers that are speaking on websites that they control over the Internet. But at the same time, law firms understand, even the largest law firms, that that becoming well-known in your field as an individual attorney is very important in terms of attracting clients. And weblogs can and regularly do allow attorneys to become very well-known in their fields. Uh, I think that for the most part, the attorneys who are blogging these days are folks that are in their 40s and younger, and therefore a lot of blogging attorneys are perhaps in the associate ranks, and I believe that large firms are concerned, and perhaps justifiably so, that associates should not be unfiltered on the Internet discussing legal issues. Uh, But uh, I think that at, at the end of the day, the way that large firms measure how an attorney is performing is is based on two major things, which which is the number of clients uh, that that the attorney has brought in, and secondly, the revenue that the attorney produces as a result of the work that he or she is uh, performing at the firm. And uh, in in that calculus, certainly blogging is is not counted, and uh, and perhaps. Uh, should not be counted because if if you're out there publicizing yourself or trying to get clients, that's just what attorneys are supposed to be doing. So so I think that uh, my my own personal decision to leave a large firm was was based on my realization that I could uh, do better for myself on my own. And and thankfully, last year, the first full year that I was out on my own, uh, I proved that that right. But I I think that uh, at, at my firm, my blogging was not discouraged, nor was it encouraged. Uh, it, it was known, and, and I think that the firm appreciated the attention that it brought the firm, but it was a singular endeavor as opposed to a firm-sponsored endeavor for me. Ernie, does Howard's uh, proposition that there be some level of supervision of, of associates on the web that are doing blogging, does that kind of put the specter of perhaps uh, law firm, big law firm marketing department doing some editing of some of these web blogs? Oh, well, I think we're, you know, we're early into that realm because there, I don't know of that many situations, and I guess I wouldn't know, but I don't know of that many situations where uh, an associate at a law firm is blogging and what kind of tension that creates. But I think ha- everything that Howard said, I totally agree with. I think that it's a, it's a very precarious situation, both for the attorney and for the law firm, and the natural inclination of the law firm is going to want is going to be to want to control the message and to make sure that things get don't get out of hand, which is appropriate. On the other hand, the mindset of the traditional marketing world tends to not to overlook the value of spontaneity and other things that blogs bring to the table. So that, that tension is going to have to be worked out over time, and I, I suspect what's going to happen is uh, law firms will find that certain people are able to do it and do it well and won't, 
won't necessarily encourage them at first, but will tolerate it. In other places, they will be very cautious because um, the slip of the tongue or something that that really uh, hurts a client and, and brings negative press is probably the worst thing that could happen to a firm. Well, when, when we talk about the fit between a law firm and a blogger, it, it seems that part of what happens is is that the blogger outgrows the fit uh, in, often before the law firm does. I mean, I, 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 you know, uh, you guys stand as examples, perhaps, of that. I, I think of a recent example of somebody like uh, Dennis Crouch, who patently owes, started blogging as a, a first-year associate just a couple of years ago, and uh, you know, in September takes up a teaching position at Boston University School of Law. Uh, in part, he says, because of his blogging. Uh, so, is, I mean, is it the case that that blogging uh, helps lawyers, uh, you know, kind of find their own path in a way that uh, if not blogging doesn't do? Yeah, I think that that's true, and and I think that um, it, it's true in a more public way. So you know about Dennis because he's blogged his experience. The fact is, though, that the legal profession in general is incredibly prone to attrition. I'm not sure what the statistics on that are, but it's very hard to keep people in firms in general, and law firms wind up making enormous financial investments and resource investments in their people, and they have a really tough time keeping them on board. So the more people that uh, are generally publicly known because they write web blogs and they go through that process, you know, I think, I think you'll see... Uh, that trend become more visible, and and so at uh, at some level it does become a question of is is your weblog producing clients for for the firm or or not? And uh, and some some attorneys write weblogs that perhaps would have that effect, whereas others intentionally do not. And and I don't think necessarily that either one is is better or more, or more valuable uh, to the person than than the other. Uh, I I think that. Uh, that I've I've been fortunate to have I guess what you could say is a subject matter a, a legal subject matter related weblog that that fortunately for me has produced clients over time, whereas an attorney that perhaps has a, a generally more per- personal focused weblog uh, might might not have that site have that result, and and therefore the firm uh, would be looking for that attorney perhaps to be producing clients in in some other way yet uh, yet so long as that attorney is doing what the firm is is seeking from him or her uh, I, I don't think that the firm would have any grounds to object uh, so long as the site is being run in a way that, that does not bring the firm into disrepute well there is the adage that that clients hire Correct. lawyers not firms and, and of course a weblog is something that that highlights the lawyer uh, in a in an extremely unique way. Uh, so, I mean, what is how does that uh, play into this? I mean, Ernie, what's your experience been in terms of how your weblog has has served clients for yourself and in your former firm? Well, that, that's a that's a really good question, and that's something that if I sat down and thought about it for many hours and tried to write a post about it, I probably could draw out a better answer than I'm about to give because it's something I think about a lot. Because unlike Howard, I don't I don't focus on uh, an area of law, and I and I never wanted to, and, and yet I've found that there have been tremendous benefits uh, to me in various ways. They're, they, they're kind of hard to tie together and put under a rubric that I, can, that I can lay out. But in general, I think what happens for me is that you can demonstrate or talk about who you are 
in a way that people can connect to. So what I, I guess if I was going to generalize, I guess the experience that, I, um, that cuts across various examples that I'm not going to give are that people will talk to me about something because they read my weblog and they kind of get a sense of who I am and they, they sense that they can trust me, let's, let's put it that way. And so they'll ask me a question, and I may not know the answer to the question, but I'll tell them either I don't know or I'll say, well, here's the best person to go to for that, that problem. And that's what they're looking for. And I think that goes back to what I was saying earlier about transparency. I think that what I experience a lot with clients or people who aren't necessarily clients but come to me and ask me questions is that there's a lot of people out there who really don't know what kind of lawyer they need or how to find legal help or whether they have a legitimate legal problem. And they want informal guidance. And I think that's what blogs tend to, to eat, you know, inch towards providing. And, again, there's a tension because informal advice is something the ABA doesn't want to hear, I'm sure. But, you know, people ask their friends, you know, what lawyer would you recommend for this problem? And so that's the sort of informal information purveying uh, that I think that the legal profession through blogs can do for the general public, which I find rewarding and I find to be interesting. Denise, do you get a sense that potential clients uh, find lawyers through blogs, or is it more of a big referral uh, source for lawyers to refer clients to other bloggers? My experience has been much more the former, although I certainly have had other lawyer bloggers um, contact me and refer work as well. But, but my experience has been much more along the lines of what Ernie just described of um, people in the general public and particularly in the technology industry, which I tend to write about and follow, uh, getting in touch with me because a legal issue has arisen for them or their company, and they are you know, at sea as to what to do first and what to do next and looking for someone that they can trust uh, to steer them in the right direction. Well, you know, if... If there's a uh, if there's a stratosphere to the blogosphere, I think we we have it here today. I mean, the three of you have been have been blogging for a long time and have really been pioneers in this. Uh, where where is this heading for the legal profession? I mean, you've been doing this, Denise. What four five years? Five in November. More than that? Uh, five in November. Where where are where is this going? I mean, you you were one of the first to talk about blogging. You were one of the first to talk about podcasting. Uh, what's the next best thing for the big thing for the legal profession? Well, I think more of the same is is the next best thing. I think you know in the last couple of years, I think it's been that that Kevin O'Keefe's company has been out there, LexBlog, um, lining up some very significant clients such as Shepard Mullen. Uh, to provide them with a blogging platform and hand-holding advice and guidance and, and get them in an official capacity participating in the live web. Uh, and you know, I think that that trend will continue as well as where Howard and Ernie and I started out, um, sort of people who, who take up the technology on their own and, and do it in a complementary manner to a larger organization. I think both those things will continue, but, but we'll probably see a bigger hockey stick curve of the institutions jumping in uh, because they recognize the power of the medium and their consultants are telling them about the power of the medium, and they're beginning to understand how to use it. Do you see it as a movement from lawyers 
who are blogging in larger firms to move toward medium and smaller firms, and then kind of a boomerang effect that uh, some of the large law firms will be seeking out some of that talent uh, to come back in and help them develop a uh, web presence? I wouldn't be surprised by that at all. What about styles of blogging? I mean, again, the three of you have very different styles. I mean, Howard, I, I, you're almost like a machine gun of a blogger. I don't know how you shoot it out so so quickly all day long. And Ernie, uh, you, sometimes you're a little more introspective. You were writing about about yoga recently and, and other things. Uh, and Denise, uh, you know, you've you've varied depending on, on your schedule and, and your status. Uh, uh, are we seeing a, a, an evolution in, in the style uh, of blogs that lawyers write? Uh, should they be trying to uh, evolve toward a particular style, or is diversity a good thing in this? Diversity is good. I, I agree 100%, and uh, I, I think that I, I prefer to read the, the blogs that have the thoughtful posts in them. Uh, it, it's just that, I, that the topic that I cover oftentimes prevents me from issuing as many of those as I would like myself. And conversely, I like reading um, Howard's blog because it allows me to very quickly digest uh, a broad range of information in the legal realm that I wouldn't find elsewhere. And I know that it's been filtered by somebody who's going to add to the discussion or take away based on knowing that I'm a lawyer and I don't need to understand all the ground rules. Yeah, I think blogs and podcasts are as individual as their creators and and reflect their creators goals obviously with Howard's blog being a good example and it's it's not as though Howard isn't inclined toward thoughtful writing in other media uh, quite the opposite so yeah I think I think you'll see um, diversity continue to explode and and explode into other areas uh, such as video, as it's becoming uh, more and more popular and accessible on the web. Well, it's time for a short break so we can hear from the people that make Coast to Coast a success. Much more on blogging, including very personal blogging experience from Denise, Howard, and Ernie when we return. We invite you to visit law.com for timely legal news and in depth resources. From daily headlines to practice-specific updates, Law.com provides up-to-date information to those working in the legal profession. As part of its coverage, Law.com is proud that J. Craig Williams' blog, May It Please the Court, and Robert Ambrogi's blog, Law Sites, are part of its blog network. Don't wait any longer. Visit Law.com today and get free subscriptions of our Newswire newsletter with the top legal stories of the day. Or sign up for a free trial subscription to one of our Practice Center sections. If you found us in the podcast library of iTunes, thanks for listening. Check out some of our other shows at LegalTalkNetwork.com and become a member. It's free. Coast to Coast is produced by the Legal Talk Network and a staff of broadcast professionals. If you have an idea for a topic or a show, we want to hear from you. Go to LegalTalkNetwork.com and send us an email. If you have a comment or question, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message on the Legal Talk Network listener line at 781-634-8959. We really do listen to the messages and even answer your questions on our next show. A video settlement documentary can be the most powerful and persuasive way to bring about a speedy settlement in your client's case. 
The Boston Media Group has a staff of television professionals with 20 years' experience writing and producing compelling stories just like the ones you've seen on 60 Minutes or Dateline. We put a human face on the lawsuit with compelling interviews, dramatizations, and visual presentations of the fact. Think of it as a video opening argument that will compel the attorneys on the other side to settle. Call us for a consult at 800-317-5221. That's 800-317-5221. Or check out our website at bostonmediagroup.com. Welcome back to Coast to Coast. This is Bob Ambrogi. And I'm Craig Williams. Welcome back to the program. We're joined by fellow legal bloggers Denise Howell, Howard Bashman, and Ernie Svensson. Denise, apparently the field of law blogging is going through a transition. Uh, do you see that there are some firms out there that are dissuading their attorneys from blogging? Um, I haven't seen that myself. Um seems like every time I'm speaking with lawyers who aren't blogging about blogging, they're trying to figure out how to do it. <laughs> so that's, uh, that's not been my experience. I'm curious if uh, Howard or Ernie have encountered this. Well, the, the one example that comes to mind for me is the federal government, which perhaps is the nation's largest law firm, and, and its attorneys, uh, as I understand it, are dissuaded from blogging, and uh, and I think that that's noteworthy for various reasons, including whether the First Amendment would allow them to speak out or, or not. Yeah. Denise, a lot of people have been asking whether, whether blogging had anything to do with your change of circumstances, and, and I, again, I understand that there's there's little you can, you can publicly say about what happened there, but it, it seemed to me that you certainly suggested or, or even stated somewhat clearly on your own post about this, that, that you didn't see blogging as, as having played a role? In no, the, and I, I uh, never had any indication that, you know, it was anything other than um, what I've always viewed it as, both a personal outlet and, and a way to connect on a personal level with, with the world um, and the universe of potential clients within that world and the universe of other lawyers who um, might ultimately send economic benefit the firm's way. Doc Searles had a great line a couple of years back about not making money with a blog but because of a blog, and I think that that um, is definitely a principle that holds through uh, for the legal profession and has held for me. Do you think it's time that uh, law firms start encouraging their lawyers to start blogging? Um, I, I definitely think so personally, and and. That's for a number of reasons. I mean, I think, I don't know if any of you guys caught Boston Legal last night, uh, but it was an episode that had to do with uh, not elevating um, sort of a quiet, bookish uh, senior associate to partnership, someone who had a lot of value to the firm but just didn't have those those star quality uh, charisma points that, that, uh, you know, obviously they exaggerate everything for television, but it, w- it was an interesting story um, looking on, at law firm economics and the way legal decisions, legal business decisions are made. Um, and, and I think that the reason that law firms might want to encourage lawyers to blog is, and, and otherwise participate in the live web is I can't think of a more powerful way for them to meet the law firm's stated goal of 
um, connecting with the community and uh, bringing in business and heightening the credibility and image of the firm. Um, all of those things are accomplished, you know, sort of on a global playing field when you're using the net to communicate with these tools as opposed to, you know, trying to work your local bar association or the other uh, traditional things lawyers have done. Well, we're talking about writing blogs. What about reading them? I, I, I'm sure we all have opportunities to, to speak to various groups of lawyers, and, and it seems to me there are a large majority of lawyers who are still not reading blogs on a regular basis, and yet when I, when I show them what's available, uh, when I show them something like Howard's How Appealing or some of the other blogs uh, that cover particular areas or topics of law in a substantive way, they're, they're amazed. So, Howard, what, what should law firms be doing to encourage their lawyers to be reading blogs? I, I think that there are several things that they could do. One, one is make links to uh, blogs that the law firms wish to encourage uh, to be read available over firm intranet sites uh, or, or just through email and word of mouth. I, I think that uh, among the legal elites, if I can use that phrase, uh, law blogs are very well known. I was at an event last week in Minnesota with the judges of the Eighth Circuit, and uh, it, it really impressed me how many of those judges, both from the Court of Appeals and the District Courts, were familiar with very, very many different law blogs, including my own. And at one point, there was a U.S. Supreme Court justice there who I was talking to briefly, and he mentioned the fact that, that he had uh, read that I was at a baseball game with my son recently, and the only, the only place he would have read that was on my web blog. So you have from justices of the U.S. Supreme Court to uh, bankruptcy judges reading these attorney web blogs, and I think that uh, the, the readership hopefully will only continue to grow into the future. And the Ninth Circuit, uh, even citing to Eugene Volokh uh, a couple of times, at least most recently, the last few days. Right. Yeah, who's, who's that law student? Uh, Ian Best, I believe is his name, um, who had a right. law blog directory Epiphany. project going. And I think he has a page as part of that project that, that is, um, he's tried to compile all the uh, authoritative citations to legal weblogs. So the, the recent Ninth Circuit one is just, one in a long line of those. And another this week that Howard pointed out, I think, from Judge Young in Boston. Right. Well, we'd like to get your final thoughts on this subject. Uh, so, Ernie, do you want to give us some wrap-up uh, thoughts of what we've been discussing? Um, well, I guess, you know, the, the last thing we're talking about is where weblogs are going and how much they are becoming part of mainstream legal world. And I would say that I don't think that they... Uh, have come as far as we who do it all the time really think uh, has occurred. Um, recently I was at a in-accord leadership conference and there was much hand-wringing about how to improve the the public perception of the judiciary and there was all these discussions about various legislation that was occurring and a lot of hand-wringing. And, and they talked about what, what they were going to do to combat this problem. And they listed various things, write letters to the editor. And, and finally, at the end of the list, somebody said, and we might even encourage some, some people to go to journalism school to learn how to be journalists. Nobody ever mentioned the Internet. And I stood up and said, you know, what about the Internet? And people's faces were sort of blank. And I said, like weblogs, for example. Even Judge Posner has a weblog. And the moderator, who was a bow-tied, very uh, prim and proper uh, academic, said, oh, well, I don't read Judge Posner's blog. 
Uh, Denise, how about you? Your final thoughts on this topic? Um, so I have a whole smattering of, of thoughts on the, these issues, obviously, and I'll try and distill them down a bit. Um, first, I agree with Ernie that, that the uptake among the legal profession in general has been and will continue to be a slow one. But that's, that's kind of true of everything. <laughs> when you think about the legal profession, there's not a lot that they sort of jump into and are the leaders in when you think about it from a business perspective. Um, so I think as more and more of their clients uh, are actively engaged in this and these kinds of pursuits and asking them for advice about them, which, which is certainly happening, uh, that law firms will wake up and realize that not only is this you know, a, a legal niche they need to be servicing, but it's, it's a way of communicating that the world is embracing. And uh, you know, sooner, sooner or later, that will happen um, in the legal field. The other thing I just want to comment on is that there continues to be a dearth of information, good information, on specific topics, serious topics, um, available in the world today. You know, people still look at the world somewhat, uh, although this is changing day by day, uh, through the lens of their television screen and the newspaper that arrives uh, in their driveway every morning, and, and uh, that that's so not enough for the vast majority, and there's a lot of frustration out there about it. And part of the reason I think that weblogging and related pursuits have uh, taken hold and uh, gained momentum in the legal field is because there's a lot of knowledge and information there that people crave and want access to. Um, so again, I think that's bound to just drive the growth even further and faster than we've seen in the last five years. Howard, you got the final word. I think that uh, large firms will recognize more and more that weblogs for attorneys are a way to generate positive publicity for individual attorneys and also gain name recognition among other attorneys and also potential clients and thereby to generate clients. But also these firms will remain sensitive to the fact that because these communications are public, that risks uh, are attached to it that might not be there if the communications were not public. And, and so I think that large firms will become more indulgent of attorneys desiring to blog about the law, but will also continue to warn those individuals that they have to be careful and conduct themselves in an appropriate way when they do so. Well, thanks, you all, thanks all of you very much for participating in our show today. We'd like to get your contact information. Denise, if people want to get a hold of you, what is the best way to do that? Well, I was just at a conference and uh, was telling people, because I'm no longer giving out business cards, you can Google my first name, and I'm the one who wasn't married to Charlie Sheen. At least yet. <laughs> but uh, if you want the more straightforward way to uh, get to where my writings are at the web, they're at bagandbaggage.com. And, Howard, how can our listeners get a hold of you? My email address is readily available over my weblog, which is at howappealing.law.com. And Ernie? And you can Google my first name, Ernie, and I'm right below Ernie's house of whoop-ass. <laughs> <laughs>
Denise, actually, the second Denise that comes up is Denise's interchangeable knitting needles. Ah, really? Well, is that you? Been, uh, is that you? You're third on the list today. Stuck in the heart by a knitting needle, then. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to all of you. We really appreciated having you on the show. This has been really interesting. I wish we could continue the discussion uh, for longer, but time is up. Thanks, guys. Bob, we will talk next week. Yes, and good to talk to you as always, Craig. Take care. Thanks for listening to Coast to Coast with Robert Ambrogi and J. Craig Williams. Coast to Coast has been sponsored by Law.com. We hope you'll listen again and check out our other shows on the Legal Talk Network. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.